0: From Rare Cancers Australia, you're listening to Radio Rare, the podcast where we share the stories of those in and around the rare and less common cancer community. Over the past five weeks, we have spoken to a number of different carers. RCA's CEO and co-founder, Richard Vines, along with Mohab Camel, both shared their experience of caring for their partners. Simone Cloak also spoke about caring for her dad, was going through another cancer journey. Today, we touch on the caring perspective of Rebecca Kelly, scientist, advocate, mum and caregiver to eight-year-old Ryan.
1: There's always that shock and awe phase that you go through in the first few days and then you start to do your research and you start to understand the issues and it starts to feel manageable and then, you know, you, you get another one
0: comes along and you start over again in some way. A reminder to our listeners that whilst you may be one of only a handful of people with your cancer in Australia, added together, all those rare and less common cancers make up a community of tens of thousands of people here in Australia. If you or your caregiver ever need to speak to someone, our specialist cancer navigators are here for you. Reach out on one 257 600 or email support at rarecancers.org.au. Speaking with Rebecca today is RCA's Dr. Emily Isham.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Emily Isham. Welcome to Radio Rare. Today we are talking to Dr. Rebecca Kelly, scientist, advocate, and mum to 11-year-old Orla, 8-year-old Ryan, and 4-year-old Kiara. She's also a caregiver to Ryan, who was born with Down syndrome, and has been battling leukaemia for most of his life. Dr. Kelly comes from an academic background and worked at a university in the area of natural resource management, particularly focused on water quality, modelling and advocacy. Rebecca found herself using these professional skills from her time at university when she became a parent.
1: Okay, so um, me and myself, I'm a, a scientist. So I've come from an academic background. I, I was a fellow at an Australian university. Um, I focus on water quality type issues and developing models and talking to communities, things like that. So I came, I guess, into parenthood with a, a fairly, uh, with a lot of professional skills. And when I became a parent, I realized that a lot of those professional skills are really useful in <laughs> parenting, strangely enough. So in my 30s when I started having kids and um, and our eldest daughter came along. And then when Ran was born, uh, a lot of those professional skills became really obviously handy. So he was born with Down syndrome and a whole range of medical conditions that have just meant a lot of, I guess, project management skills have come to the fore in terms of understanding his medical conditions and being able to do research and then sort of manage the, the caring role that is often around research and dealing with doctors and dealing with systems. Um And then Kira came along and she just sort of finished off our family in a really wonderful way. She's very different from the other two and, and quite a little firecracker, so she keeps us going as well. So, yeah, I guess your whole personality changes when you have kids in some ways and, and your focus on life changes, but I still enjoy my professional sort of
2: yeah. So tell me how how you have become a caregiver. Are you Ryan's main carer? Yeah, so I guess they,
1: they separate out the two roles. So obviously being a mum, you're always a caregiver as soon as yeah. you've got kids. And, and there's all this things, the things and types of caregiving that I give to all my children. So, you know, there's, there's the emotional support you provide them and there's the physical support in terms of changes as they get older. The caring role, which is, I guess, on top of that, Typical mother role with a guy and became more apparent as he got older. So, in the early days, the caring role was more to do with managing the interactions with the health system that he had, but also then the therapist. So, he started speech therapy for seven weeks old. As he gets older, that caring role is taking over a lot more time because obviously his needs are now very different to, to the things that a typical eight year old would need. So, he needs a lot more personal care support, he needs you know, education, there's a lot more involved in making sure that he's well settled and well supported at school, his medical needs haven't got any less intense and, and therapy and things like that. So I guess the carer role I'm finding is getting bigger as he gets older and I do do, I would say, almost all of that additional um, caring role in terms of the disability and medical and education side of things. Um, my my husband obviously keeps dad and he still plays that parenting carer, but I find doesn't take over those other additional roles very really. much.
2: So can you tell us a bit about Ryan and his life so far? Ryan is uh,
1: he's a really funny little fellow with quite a good sense of humour. When he was born, he had a postnatal diagnosis of Down syndrome, so we were surprised that day. Uh, we also found out that day that he had a cleft palate um, and a couple of... A few days later, it was discovered that he also had a a hole in his heart, so atrial septal defect. Over time, a whole pile of other bits and pieces became apparent So he had issues with um, fluid behind his eardrums and some deafness associated with that. He had issues with his eyes and um, his vision. He also then, when he was 13 months old, developed leukemia, and that was a big part of our journey and probably a big shock uh, for the whole family. And also, all the kind of, the consequences of all that medical intervention have become really apparent psychologically. At about the age of six, um, he really changed and and the wall came up. So before that he he's always been a really affectionate, emotive little fella. He would would come and chatter away to people. He wasn't easy to understand because of his palate, but he was really um, friendly and and all all that sort of attitude. When he was about six, the wall started to come up and he he stopped looking at people and he gradually disengaged to the point where he wouldn't talk at all anymore. He stopped signing. He really withdrew into his own little shell. And it's taken us a good sort of 12 months to to open that back up again. And he's now much more starting to talk to people. He's not where he was before. He's still wary of strangers, but he's reconnecting with the world bit by bit um, in terms of the people that he trusts which has been a big
2: change. There have been so many challenges Ryan has faced, continuous hurdles and new diagnoses. How do you and your husband process and cope with each new diagnosis?
1: There's always that shock and awe phase that you go through in the first few days and then you start to do your research and you start to understand the issues and it starts to feel manageable and then... You know, you, you get another one comes along and we start over again in some ways. And I guess we got to, when we got to about five years old, we, we started to probably feel confident that we were through the worst, that, you know, we've dealt with the really big issues. I mm. think the last couple of years have been hard because I think we, we've realised that that wasn't true. And I guess I'm at a point now where I'm realising it's, it's not the last thing. It's just the next thing. Um, and probably getting into a mind frame where, you know, you learn how to, to roll with that, but you you try and enjoy today as much as you can enjoy today. You try not to become overwhelmed. I, I don't think too much about what's next, but I kind of will deal with this issue and hopefully it's the last thing for at least a while. But you kind of, you get into a different mind space, I guess, where you just have to focus on now. Mm. Like, you know, what's the next thing to do? Well, we've got issues now that we're dealing with. So I'll just kick them off and I won't worry about that bigger picture, I guess.
2: And has that changed the way your family operates or the way you parent your other children? Yeah, I was probably going to be one of those type A type parents that um,
1: <laughs> really focused on, you know, the end goal of getting your kids of being these productive adults. And in a way, I think it's encouraged me to back off and then just enjoy my kids more. Like I don't, I mean, I've got aspirations for them and I hope, I guess my main hope for them is to be happy kind adults you know to to be adults with empathy but to enjoy their lives it it just makes a different focus in life it's a much more day-to-day way of living and so you tend to not sort of think about those other um it's not about an end game or trying to achieve some goal there it's actually just about enjoying the day that we've
2: got today it certainly does change in your perspective what's important when you're fighting for basic health care for one of your children Yeah, totally. Like, it's totally changed
1: my value system. I mean, I I came from a value system where I studied really long and hard. I used to work 60-hour weeks. You know, I I had a life that was very focused on the ladder, I guess, and trying to climb the ladder. And and now that's not something I really aspire to for my kids. It's not a place that provides life satisfaction. But also that that those choices give back to the community. So I try and instill them in the sense that, you know, we help others and, and do good. Because I think we've seen all of that side of life where it's a bit tougher and where people do have a need.
2: So, Rebecca, how have you managed to integrate so many roles into your time, both as a caregiver to Ryan, as a mum to your other children, as well as your work and who you are as a person, your background in science and research and what you enjoy doing?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not that, I'm appalling at self care, so I'm no model for, <laughs> for how people should balance their lives. I am fortunate that I, so before I had kids, but she made some choices that were really strategic choices. I left the university system. I started my own business and I work from home and my clients are pretty used to the idea that I come and go as I need to, that I've got appointments. They, they know we disappear for hospital visits and, and things. But it's given me that flexibility to be both.
2: It just ended up so much more important to have that flexibility. Yeah, there's too much, um, too many demands on your time by the sounds of it. Yeah, I just, I, I couldn't tell you where I'm going to be next week (laughs) in terms of that.
1: You know, being guaranteeing someone I will turn up. You know, five days a week or even three days a week at a certain time because we have a lot of appointments. You know, appointments are a big part of our life and some of them are in Melbourne and some of are here. But often they come up very quickly. And Ryan himself, he's had a huge amount of time off sick. I'd say he's had three months off school this year sick because he's had some really chronic health conditions that that we've been struggling through. And he's just had huge levels of pain and and lots of um, infections and things. And so it's to be able to continue working while he's at home sick has been a huge benefit. I you know, I can't imagine that there's an employer anywhere that would be able to cope and provide that
0: level of flexibility. Coming up after the break?
1: You get the confidence. We've dealt with hell. Like we've literally I look back over my life and I go, I've dealt with really, really difficult, impossible situations. And it kind of gives you a confidence that as awful as something might be, You'll deal with it. You don't want to deal with it. I don't want to have to deal with the next thing, but I know I
0: can. That's coming up after these words from our patient support team.
2: Hello, this is Ailey at Rare Cancers Australia. How can I help you today?
1: Hi, I was just wondering if you could help me with...
2: Our specialist cancer navigators can help you with the challenges that come with a rare cancer diagnosis. Our services are free and there is no criteria for accessing
0: support from us.
2: We understand that every situation is unique and no two people are the same. If you have been diagnosed with a rare or less common cancer, our patient support team look forward to hearing from you. Call us on 1800 257 600 or email support at rarecancers.org.au.
0: Welcome back to Radio Rare. Before the break, Dr. Emily and Rebecca were talking about the impacts and hurdles that eight-year-old Ryan has faced during his life. Dr. Emily and Rebecca continue their conversation.
2: Wow. And so on that note, are you able to describe to us what an average day as his main carer looks like or what it would entail?
1: Yeah, I think it's funny that the actual, the days look really different and so the average day can be really different. But I guess for example, at the moment, my average day, there's still a lot of consideration of what medications he needs to take. So he's taking all sorts of pain medications and he's taking medications like some antibiotics for infections on and off. So there's a lot of kind of remembering all those things and keeping your head around them. There's a lot of just monitoring him. I spend a lot of time, I I think he's of me looking in his ears because I'm obsessively looking for the signs of infections coming along and things like that so I guess there's a mental load just around watching him and because he's not particularly verbal trying to understand where he's at internally is that pain that he's suffering today is something else going on for him so just trying to that load of trauma be the one that can interpret what his behavior means and I'm pretty much the person in the world who does that, that's not something that a lot of other people can kind of see him and see what's going on for him. The other types of things, I guess, in a ridiculous amount of time you're just chasing hospital records. <laughs> and things like that for chasing appointments, chasing doctors. I've got into this cycle of being forced to do freedom of information requests on on medical records and things. And, and that's the load of just thinking, where are we up to now? What else do I need to chase? you know, this isn't working, who do I get a second opinion from? I find that and, you know, just keeping up on research so that I know what questions are. That's a big load.
2: And those medical things, it's just not so simple and straightforward to simply hand them over because they're not black and white, are they? They exist with all these shades of grey and other nuances.
1: Yeah, and I, I find I do all of that because even with my husband, it's really hard to. I can give him the question, the first question to ask, but I can't tell him what follow up to ask when they give the answer. And I mm-hmm. find, you know, when Kira was born, Paul had to take Ryan down to emergency, and I wrote four pages of notes for him for when he got down there, <laughs> asking out his medical history and and all the things that they needed to be aware of when they triaged him. So yeah, it's. That's the stuff you, you just can't hand that over to anyone else. There's really no way. You can share that burden and you can you can vent about it, but no one can
2: take it off you in terms of, you know, no one can relieve that sort of side of the pressure. You almost need a PA in this job, don't you? I'd love a PA. A PA would be amazing. <laughs> I'd love to just pass this stuff off to someone else. There's just so much healthcare system navigation that falls to parents, isn't there? So much. A huge amount. And when, once you add in the mix of disability, you also then
1: in, add in the disability sector. So we've got all the healthcare navigation and so much of it relies on parents. You know, no one ever checks back to you. You've got to chase the results for the test and then you've got to chase the treatment based on the results. Um, so that's all on you. Once you've got disability into the mix, you've also then got to chase down your NDIS plan and <laughs> go through all of that horror that he's trying to, get together a good plan and then once that's in place you've got to you know you've got to coordinate this whole level of uh, this system that's really inflexible and really not well designed to support people I I think as a carer those are the things that add an extra burden is that the systems that are there to support you aren't very well designed to do that
2: job. Of course so have you had any support along the way? I've got
1: I've probably got a lot of really nice informal supports. My mum's amazing and she came and lived with us for six months while, my, while Ryan had cancer and had treatment in Melbourne and that was just essential in terms of being able to continue being a mother to our eldest daughter. I've had, she's always come for really major surgeries for many years, she travelled and would stay with me and, and do that with me and she's a nurse too so she really comes with skills as well as support. <laughs> I've got really nice friends. I've found online support is really big and it's really useful. So I, I help run a number of support groups as well, but they tend to be your community in terms of having a event or seeking advice or support. And there are a wealth of knowledge in some of those worlds that are online that you can access day or night. So, you know, there's always someone out there who's, you know, still there who can answer a question or reach out if you want support.
2: You sound like a phenomenal advocate, Beck. <laughs> Thank you. So, into how many roles are you able to put your advocacy skills to use? Oh, look, I think there's all sorts of ways
1: that you do advocacy. I am like the um, president of Down Syndrome Tasmania, so I try and use that kind of formal advocacy role. I've done some advocacy around changing language and improving healthcare at a more formal level for people with intellectual disabilities. So, you know, you kind of engage in those things. But I often think the best advocacy we do is at that informal level. So a lot of the time it's just supporting another parent by letting them know what their legal rights are, by explaining to them, how do you escalate things in different systems? (laughs) It's a funny one, but one that we often share with new parents and little babies with Down syndrome who often have respiratory issues is we give them the right words to talk about respiratory distress so that when they get triaged down an emergency, they talk about intercostal recessions and tracheal tugs, suddenly they're taken
2: seriously. Yeah. Whereas you know, if they just go down there, worried first time mother, they might get yeah. blown off. Mm. And so just changing tack a little, I noticed you mentioned the relentlessness of being a carer when there are multiple illnesses involved and different facets of that caring role. Have you found that anything positive has come of these eight and a half years of dealing with the medical system in this very intimate way?
1: Um, I think it's had an almost um, personal growth. I would say that the experiences I've been through with Ryan have made me a much better person than I would have been without both. So I, I don't doubt that everything that we've struggled with and driven for, it's it certainly changed my life. It's given me a real sense of purpose. I think it's important that you wake up in the morning and you feel like you're contributing something. Like, in a lot of ways, a lot of the things that I've done with mine, it's given me that sense of purpose and it's given me that sense that you can change the world, even if it's only in a small way for the better. And I think that's a really powerful being as a human to take out of out of the world. No doubt I've gained a few skills that I didn't think I would ever have. I've had Mm. I've had to get out of my comfort zone and do things in the media and do things that I would never have done before. I would have been you know, it would have been really daunting. Mm. And I've had professional benefits as well as personal benefits. I I think having Ryan it opened my mind up to disability and really challenged all the value systems that I had. And that's been really good. That's been such a positive experience. To really see what the value of human life is. And to really, you know, you can say it, but until you live it and you actually force to challenge those beliefs that you often don't even realise you hold, um, it's a totally different
2: experience. So how do you and your family deal with that ongoing stress, particularly the most stressful points, perhaps during any of Ryan's life-threatening stages or? during uncertain times when you are waiting for results, or even how you cope with those feelings of powerlessness that can overwhelm you during cancer, particularly the issues Ryan's had recently with his ears. How do you process those and how do you talk your children through those?
1: Yeah, I find uncertainty, I find, is the hardest thing. And I found when the week between when he was diagnosed and we started treatment was an excruciating week for me. As soon as he started treatment, I felt calm because I'm a person that wants to put a plan and we're doing. I can focus on the plan. So those periods of uncertainty are really difficult. And I guess what I'm learning to do is to not focus on, you know, not worry about all the possibilities. So, and it's easier said than done sometimes, but I try and break it down into the things that I can do and the things that I can control and pick those ones off. And then kind of suspend the thought about the next thing until we hit the next thing that I can do something about. And sometimes that's it. It's, it's teaching the kids how to live in the moment and how not to focus too much on all the what ifs and the maybes and what if this was to happen or that was to happen. So it's it's been, yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. It's about kind of you still need to focus on the future and know what the next steps are and have a plan. but it's, about knowing when to put that down and just focus on living um, in the meantime because stressing about the plan and what else
2: could go wrong doesn't actually change anything and such a good way to live in general but also such a hard thing to grasp as a more planning type a personality hey (laughs) oh yeah it's not it's not the way that i would have lived my life before
1: i must say i'm not a very anxious person anymore because i've got bigger things to worry about i think too like i don't micromanage all the basic stuff because like and You get the confidence, we've dealt with hell, like we've literally, I look back over my life and I go, I've dealt with really, really difficult, impossible situations and it kind of gives you a confidence that as awful as something might be, you'll deal with it. You don't want to deal with it, I don't want to have to deal with the next thing, but I know I can. And there's a confidence that comes with that experience of having to deal with extraordinary circumstances and coming through it.
2: Yeah, it is wearing, isn't it? And it does catch up with you. And it's hard to see where you can fit the time in to care for yourself when you have got so many things to juggle, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's one. I think the whole mantra of self-care is a bit simplistic. Yeah. And I think unless...
1: I really have come to believe that sometimes it feels like almost a burden in its own self. Oh, now I've got to schedule something else in. And actually the reality is for most caregivers what they need is someone else to come along and take some of their load. You can't expect people to practice really good self-care if they don't have any other loads taken off them. And so I think that's a big part of it for me is trying to figure out how I can transfer some of the loads.
2: Is there anything that has been particularly helpful in reducing some of this load? Yes. I think the professionals that we come into contact
1: with, some of them are absolutely outstanding and their attitude makes a huge difference. I would say this across the medical profession, across therapists and educators. When we have come into contact with people who are just, they take ownership of it, they share the vision, they see Ryan as having value and they really invest in him, that makes my life a lot easier because they pick the ball up and I don't have to worry anymore that they've actually got that in their side. And so, you know, whenever we come across one of those people and we pull them into our team, some of my own decreases. So that's one thing I don't have to worry anymore. It's like I can kind of, out of a 100 things that are on my list to be thinking about, that's one that I can step back a bit from. Having good peer support has been huge for me. So, really having a network of like-minded mums who who I can just vent to, who will reach out, you know, even the a message that might send me a text message at ten thirty at night and how are you, how are you going, and you know, just that little sense that there's a community around you. It's not always easy to create physical community when you've got kind of the caregiving roles, and particularly when it's very uncertain because it's hard for Hard to hook up to meet friends for coffee if you don't know if you're even going to be in the state, <laughs> you know, next week, yes. or if you're going to be off for surgery.
2: Yes, yes, I agree that they carry you, don't they? Sometimes they do. They do. It, it's interesting because
1: there's probably people out there who I've never ever met face to face who know more about my internal world than mm-hmm. most of the people that have ever actually physically met me, and, mm. and that's an interesting. It's just interesting that these people that I could possibly walk past in the street if I haven't seen enough photos of them. And yet I'd consider them really good friends.
2: Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for giving us the time and giving us this kind of raw insight so honestly. It's been really valuable for me and I'm sure anyone who's been listening. So thank you for putting that time aside and speaking about your experiences with your family and particularly with Ryan. To my listeners, Thank you as well for putting your time aside to join me in this episode. Keep listening for scenes from our next episode after these words from our patient support team. I'm Dr. Emily Isham, and we'll talk again next week. Our patient support team know that a rare cancer journey is different. We understand it can be hard to find good information Difficult to connect with others in a similar situation, and that you might need someone to chat to about everything that's going on. We are here to listen, we understand Rare, and you are not alone. Contact our patient support team on 1800 257 600.
0: Next time on Radio Rare. Dr Emily Isham will speak with president and co-founder of Beat Bladder Cancer Australia, Adam Lynch. Adam lost his wife, Anna, after a 14-month battle with bladder cancer a few years ago and has gone on to set up Beat Bladder Cancer Australia. So that's been quite challenging is how you make people aware of bladder cancer symptoms without making it too confrontational. People when they don't want to think about cancer. And, and that, that's, a, that's a challenging message. So I think the message has got to be quite soft. And so our tagline has been, blood in your pee, see your GP. Radio Rare is produced in-house at Rare Cancers Australia and is hosted by Dr Emily Isham and me, James Matthews. Thank you to this episode's guest, caregiver, Rebecca Kelly. The show is mixed by Alex Smith, narrative writing by Ailey McMaster, reporting by Dr. Emily Isham, and we are edited by Christine Coben and myself. Our episode music is from Blocks. You can listen to all of our episodes for free on our website, and you can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Simply search Radio Rare or Rare Cancers Australia and click the subscribe or follow button at the top of the page. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn to keep up to date with written stories from patients, carers and information regarding rare cancers. Thank you for listening and we'll be back shortly with our next episode. Bye for now.